starting to think a lot more about a multi-solving approach, which means if you do one thing, five other things will happen. So we're starting to think, what does that look like for an environmental grant maker? What does it look like for the environmental community? That's Pat Letizia, Executive Director and CEO of the Alberta Ecotrust Foundation, a foundation that invests in solutions that protect our natural systems. But we're not focusing too much today on the foundation, but on Pat herself and others who have taken environmental action in their own lives. We want to know what drives these individuals to take action. And who knows, maybe we can inspire others to start taking action too. I'm Colleen Nook. And I'm Gregory. And welcome to What on Earth Can We Do? So we're going to start this episode off today talking to Pat Letizia, Executive Director and CEO of the Alberta Ecotrust Foundation. Ecotrust focuses on several things. Environmental grants and supporting the people and projects that effectively address Alberta's most pressing environmental issues. Capacity building which helps environmental nonprofits to address these issues and increase their ability to achieve sustained progress towards their priorities and facilitating collaboration. So they do a ton of stuff. Pat has worked with the Alberta Ecotrust Foundation for 25 of its 30-year history and has had many achievements as a leader, partnership broker, and advocate for the Alberta's environmental nonprofit sector, And this is why she won the Lifetime Achievement Award presented by Capital Power at the 30th Annual Emerald Awards. Always had my hands in the dirt. I've always loved the smell of dirt. I still do. And I learned from an environmental educator years ago that Kids need to learn how to love dirt. They, they need to get their hands dirty. They need to understand the smell of soil. And I, that's kind of stuck with me, at, you know, when I was raising my children too. I wanted to know w- w- how mountains were formed and how rivers were formed and um, all of the things that I was drawn to. I had so many questions and such curiosity about it and just fell in love with um, biology, ecology, zoology, all of the, the sciences. I, will pro- I have three children, but I will probably only have the, the one grandchild. And um, it's, it, grandparenting is so exciting because there's all the love that you would have as a parent, but very little of the responsibility. And so it's really, um, I never thought of it until I actually experienced it. But I mean, I, I never thought I could hold so much love in my heart. And yet I'm, I loved my children uh, passionately, but I just don't, I don't remember feeling exactly the same way. Maybe because she's just the, the center of the universe. But I think a lot about, I know so much more as a, as a woman now that I, that I did when my kids were young. And so she's gonna get you know the benefit of that. And I think about the future. I was hired in 1996. Um, My job was to uh, kind of manage the intake of grants and it was was all done by hand in those days, you know, reading handwritten proposals. And I don't know, I'm just kind of, again, I look for efficiency and I I said, this doesn't make any sense. We're making decisions about these projects, but we don't have any real criteria. Um, We're comparing apples to oranges and so 
one of the things I did was kind of really dig in and look at what is it we're trying to do, create some criteria and some guidelines for folks that were applying to make it a little bit easier and make decisions easier. So Pat started as project coordinator for the foundation and eventually worked her way up to executive director and CEO. And in these past 25 years, Pat has been involved in some pretty impressive projects, like leading environmental grant programs that have dispersed over $11 million to 734 environmental projects in the issue areas of land use, water, and climate change. So there is no question that Pat is an amazing leader in her field. Uh, I was recycling way before it was easy. <laughs> uh, I was, you know, uh, I was a granola. I was labeled a granola by several of my friends and uh, my kids always had cloth lunch bags and no one else did, you know, they were always a bit embarrassed. But um, I don't know, I just, it was the passion for solving some of these systemic problems or at least addressing them and and Ecotrust, I loved the partnership aspect. I loved the multi-sectoral approach. I met some amazing people through the course of um, my start there. The founders were still involved with the organization. And I was so inspired and so um, just more and more committed with, with everything that we did. And I had a, a, amazing support from, from the board and from our environmental partners. and. Um, I love the focus on philanthropy. Um, you know, one of the big, you know, you, you, there's no revenue for a nonprofit or charity. And I, I was on board in that era where we were told to be more like a business. And I remember an oil executive, not, not one of our partners, but at a consultation saying, people in this sector should be volunteers. You know, if you really are so passionate about what you're doing, why wouldn't you work for free? Why, why should our money be spent on your salaries? And I said, well, it's important work, you know, and a lot of people, you know, we're working with lawyers and, and, um, and scientists and even doctors sometimes. And, and so would you, if you went to your employees tomorrow and said, we know how much you love working for this company, uh, you don't need to get paid anymore. What do you think they'd say, you know? People are worth something and people do the work. And one of my colleagues always says, watersheds don't protect themselves. And I think, you know, something we've been able to do over the years with many of our, our colleagues and friends uh, on the environmental, or in the environmental community is to pay attention and draw attention to the value and the, even the economic contribution that the sector makes, not just the scientific or ecological or social um, benefits. You know, when you look at climate change, that's not an environmental problem. That's an environmental occurrence. And it's a social problem and it's an, it's an economic problem. And we haven't been willing to pay yet, but we're gonna pay a lot more next. And so I worked for the last 30 years to make sure we didn't get to this point so sometimes I feel like, you know, I didn't work hard enough, but we've reached a tipping point in climate change. And so I'm, I'm confident we're going to get there. I have worked with some, some really amazing people. I continue to work with amazing people. It's kind of embarrassing to get an individual lifetime achievement award because nothing I did, I did alone. You know, I may have had some big crazy ideas that came to fruition, but most of my ideas hit the hit the floor 
but you know. Um, the, advice, the advice I would give to somebody starting out as a, as, a, as a young leader or a new leader is have a vision, have, have something in your head that you're working towards, hold it always in front of you, um, sh share it with as many people as you can and get as much buy-in as you can because you might be having to deal with someone else's vision, but find a way uh, to converge. Um, listen, learn how to listen because other people have really good ideas. I wish I'd done more, been better at that. I was pretty driven when I was younger, but I would say now listen to what other people have to say. Um, and don't stop. Don't be daunted by, um, you know, so-called failures. Failures are, you know, I, I like the quick evaluation methodology of what, so what, now what? And so this happened, what does it mean? Now what are we gonna do? We'll be right back. Leading a sustainable lifestyle can be expensive, but it doesn't have to be with the Emerald Lifestyle Card. For $25, get exclusive discounts at your favorite Albertan sustainable businesses, like Righteous Gelato, Earth Warrior Lifestyle, Blender's Garment Recyclers, Rewind Reusables, and Bowcycle. Meanwhile, you'll be supporting the Alberta Emerald Foundation in our environmental good news storytelling efforts, like the What on Earth Can We Do podcast. Get your Emerald Lifestyle Card today at emeraldfoundation.ca. All right, we are recording. Awesome. Well, hi, everybody. Gregory Caswell here, Executive Director for the Alberta Emerald Foundation uh, with my co-host, Colleen Nook. We're sitting down with the amazing folks from Eco Growth Environmental, our past Emerald Award recipients turned uh, What on Earth Can We Do sponsors. We have Glenn Smith and Kim Karen from uh, Eco Growth Environmental joining us today for a special conversation. Welcome, everyone. Hey, how are you doing? I'm cold. <laughs> it's so cold. It's but not so Kim. Cold. He's in he's in Hawaii today. <laughs> yeah. Sitting under parks. a waterfall. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That sounds lovely. Okay. So first, before we actually dive into our topic today, which is um, individuals taking action, let's first talk about ego growth. Like what is the goal of ego growth? Well, uh, eco growth is a uh, is a business, and it's a for profit business, and we're trying to uh, obviously build and grow our business around uh, sustainability. And our goal is really to uh, divert landfill waste and convert it or upcycle it into biomass energy, which is considered carbon neutral under the Paris uh, Agreement on Climate Change. And tell me like the first, what was that first step that, that you took with the business? So what was that first invention that started it all? Oh man, it, uh, it goes <laughs> way back. <laughs> and it's, it's really been one continuation after another, but really the, uh, the, uh, the first eco growth uh, invention or technology came on the heels of our oily towel to clean energy um, technology. And what we did is we looked at uh, what other types of oily rags could we, uh, could we upcycle? And we looked at paper rags. 
and found that uh, it, you know the paper went through our system fine. We could extract you know the contaminants, but what do you do with all the paper? And you know, not being uh, you know not wanting to put things in the landfill, we uh, we started to look at gasification as a way to uh, to convert the used paper towel into energy and obviously avoid landfill. And then from there, it just kept going. So for anybody who doesn't know, like when we went to your warehouse, so when we went to visit EcoGrowth, it's basically like, I, I called it kind of like, a, it's like a big lab almost where there's like a whole bunch of these different inventions, I guess you could say that Glenn and Kim have done that is all built around the concept of reducing carbon footprint and making a business out of it. So, um, yeah, it was kind of like this amazing uh, maze that we went through where it started with one concept, but then we were taken to this other area. And it just, even though we had awarded EcoGrowth uh, the award for small business that year, I, I was not aware of the scope. So just being taken through uh, the warehouse and shown first uh, where it all began, executive mat with the mat cleaning service. And then we went into the oily rags and then we went over to the coffee it it really grew from what one thing to the next um yeah and we don't really and 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 this particular episode we're not diving into the specifics of what you do within this warehouse but what i want to touch on is the motivation behind coming up with things to reduce your carbon footprint and that motivation behind it because we should note that there are actually, uh, you might, if you're a fan of this podcast, you're actually probably familiar with uh, Kim and Glenn's work with EcoGrowth from our Trash to Cash episode back in season two. And also, if you're watching the Emerald documentary series, you can actually see all of the amazing work going on there and Kim's amazing presentation as part of the Emerald Speakers series. But yeah, let's dive in. Like, what prompted um, your decision to start uh, to, to make environmentalism the core of your business well that's a uh, that's an interesting question it's really part of you know your dna and you know uh i remember we were the only we were the only family on our block doing the blue box recycling when you had to pay for that service and uh it'd be funny i mean we'd be have our little box out there at the end of the driveway and I think back then, this is in the late 90s, it was still $25, $30 a month. Uh, money, we, you know, money was tight and we really couldn't afford that, but it just was part of what we did. And it wasn't really something we thought about. We just did it. And how does that, how, how do you relate that back to like what, how you've grown eco growth? Um. Well, I think it's 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 trying to take you know that uh, that piece of DNA, if you want to call it that, and uh, and see if you can actually make a uh, viable business, because you know you know having a viable business allows us to do more uh, good work, you know, and more uh, sustainability work. So it's it's really important that the company uh, is viable for one, um, and you know it's a lot of fun actually. Uh, you know, doing the right thing and uh, helping others do the right thing as well. I have a question for you, Glenn. Um, 
tell me a little bit about the vibe of eco growth, like that giant warehouse that you guys have um, in Calgary. Um, there must be a lot of trial and error that goes on to figure mm -hmm. out how to best yeah. use residuals from another project to work into a different project. It's like you have these, the, like what Gregory or said earlier, like a maze throughout the warehouse that there's almost zero waste it seems like it's like you find something you 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 use an element of another project for another project like tell me a little bit about how that vibe is in the warehouse well when I come over um, I started as Kim's sales manager uh, I met Kim in 2012 and uh, you come from a, a large corporate structure and then and then all of a sudden you're you're standing in the middle of Kim Caron's plant because the company you were with had gotten fined for washing solvent down the drain. And then you were standing at a plant and you're looking at this solvent being taken out of rags and somebody doing the right thing for the environment. I just didn't experience that at all anywhere. And uh, it was, it was infectious. Um, I have never sold any product by caring about how to divert so passionately so we didn't sell any of kim's textile talking about the textile we 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 sold that product or service by being excited about what we could do with their waste product that's generated on the back end and everybody was willing to listen and uh, that's how we started and we just learned how to feed every waste stream we've ever come across do something positive with it and in the, in the whole process over the last you know eight nine years is just learning what the right thing to do with every type of waste was uh, whether it's keep it from landfill from turning to methane don't put anything in landfill it benefits us by heating our plant carbon neutrally because it's a green fuel and uh, something is a simple start just as paper towel waste from buildings is how we got our start because we sold paper towel we sold paper towel to the end user and then we said hey we'll take it back for free bring it back heat our laundry water divert it from our clients landfill and it it just made sense to do it and then every other way since then has become just an add-on property of that it and a lot of what you're doing is very innovative i i it's not really being done at other places and you're sort of leading the way is there a certain methodology that you use or a, cert a certain decision process that leads you to the next thing you're going to tackle? I guess the, the one, the biggest thing we've been learning lately is, is people want it, like people do want to do the right thing, but they don't know how, or they don't know that what they're doing is wrong. And, uh, I seen it out in Sydney, Nova Scotia here this past week. Um, every pound, I was excited about every pound that went into our energy recovery container, whether it was shredded cardboard, dehydrated food waste, uh, you know, paper cups, all that kind of stuff. I know that every pound that goes through our equipment offsets a pound of CO2. And Right across the parking lot out east, they, they use a lot of heating oil to heat with in, in furnaces, right? And the big trucks are filling up with the fossil fuel and all the waste is, is coming into our system doing the same thing as that fossil fuel is. 
So I see a transition coming down the pipe because we should, yeah, we know we need heat in Canada, right? <laughs> Just definitely we know that. So why not look for alternative sources that are green and biomass is what we choose to focus on. And the stuff that everybody has, the Sydney Coast Guard College, for instance, that waste that they have there now can be diverted and goes right back into the heating of their whole college, um, offsetting the furnace oil they're using, um, offsetting. And um, we do it and we can measure it. And uh, I know with Kim, it's hard to keep up with him sometimes in, in, in where he's going, <laughs> but the billion pound uh, CO2 reduction challenge is if we measure it, we can reduce it and we can offset it and we can do something positive with it. And I think that's what Kim's developed over the last 10 years or so is a, is a methodology to uh, measure and calculate the reduction. So we can meet our greenhouse gas reduction targets like uh, Canada set targets for greenhouse gas reduction. Our main focus is scope three carbon, but everybody goes, what is scope three carbon? Well, that's everything to do with your, your personal footprint, your company's footprint, your deliveries, your, your gas usage. It's, it's everything to do with waste and how it's handled. And uh, everybody's so focused on your solar energy and your, you know, you know, your wind and planting trees and everything like that, but nobody's really measuring it yet. And we just want to focus. Uh, we think the biggest piece of the pie, I think it's a like 78% of that scope three carbon that is left from every building on the planet. Um, that's the biggest piece of pie that we can go after. Um, the other 25% is your solar, wind, geothermal, but the scope three carbon is basically what EcoGrowth focuses on, and that's our waste streams and uh, the infrastructure it takes, takes to either haul it away, which we don't want, we want them to use it themselves and as a form of their own energy. So that is all very, very cool. Earlier you said you were in Halifax, though, and that prompted me, is EcoGrowth expanding beyond Calgary? And like, where hey, are you reaching? We're coast to coast now, literally. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Congrats. We, uh, we are in Sydney, Nova Scotia at the Coast Guard College right on that coast. And we are in Euclid at a co-op store right exactly on that coast. So we literally are coast to coast. Wow. <laughs> that's got to fill in in between now. <laughs> so, so we're talking about measurement and, and methodology. Are you seeing the impacts of your work? Like, and if so... Um, what are you seeing? What, what are the results of, of this innovation and now this coast to coast expansion? Um, obviously there's a demand, but what, what's the impact that you're seeing? Kim, do you want to answer that? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, um, for sure. It's, uh, you know, it's becoming more, uh, more timely, uh, with the COP26, uh, uh, conference just uh, finishing, you know, the, the world is, is becoming more tuned into methane reduction and net zero, things like that. The, uh, the thing I have is, you know, people are saying they want to do it, but they don't really understand like, what is net zero um, and methane reduction. Well, where is methane even generated? And if you're going to reduce it, you, you know, you should know 
how much you're generating in the first place. So you have a baseline. And that's all part of the methodology of measuring and uh, quantifying. And so that's been a big part of, of my focus this last 12 months or so is getting a, a system put together that we can actually methodically uh, measure reduction and aggregate it and report it. And that's the billion pound challenge um, is simply a, a, a blockchain uh, protected ledger that distracts our uh, individual reductions. I want to take this back a little bit to the theme of individuals taking action, but tying it into eco-growth. So I'm curious to know, um, especially Glenn, since you're, you're basically um, probably face-to-face with clients the most, I'm guessing. Um, is it a really easy sell for clients to tell them that like, you know, you get this product, but also we're offsetting carbon off your carbon footprint. So like, I'm curious to know what sort of reaction you get from clients when you um, discuss these offerings. No, it's not easy. <laughs> it's, it's not. And I, I find that really, I find that really interesting. Okay. Like, yeah. Tell me, tell me. Well, it's, it's like you or I thinking about if you knew that every pound that you walk out to your garbage can, you could be offsetting and calculating your carbon footprint and generating a potential income from it. Would you do it? How interested is it too good to be true? Is it, you know, and, uh, and sometimes it is people don't just, people don't know the, the basics or don't understand the basics of, of how to deal with their waste like everybody like us even us I, I didn't know that putting paper towel or food waste in the ground was bad but it is and uh, our focus is methane reduction because that needlessly goes to landfill it gets buried and then it it, it it's and it goes anaerobic so no oxygen is getting to it and we create methane and that's 25 times worse greenhouse gas that we're creating by by doing so so we thought just to focus on that as an an easy way to uh, measure and reduce carbon why not and but it it isn't I guess the people that are currently using other methods like uh, waste removal and they just hit the easy button and it's just getting to the point now where it's getting too expensive even for hauling this material. And uh, there is another option and we can monetize that now. So how do we monetize it? How do we, how do we attract that potential clientele that would have uh, an interest in it and how to get them interested in it? Um, and, and Kim's idea, I believe, is the best way to do it is, is to tie it to the monetary system. Because once, unfortunately, once money is involved and once there's a potential, you need more than just a green fuzzy story, it seems like. So that's why we want to tie it and make people engaged by the pound. So every pound that goes into our dehydrator, we calculate it. We, we basically put the weight reduction into, into the cloud. And we calculate a reduction of that. For every pound that goes into our boiler, 
we put that reduction into the cloud and, and, and then we calculate the reduction, we calculate the offset credit and the potential cryptocurrency that does that. So once we can do that, I think it'll get adopted more readily. And I think we have a great audience. Even the federal government now is, is interested because they don't know how to measure it. <laughs> you can see it every question period, they get questioned on, are we meeting our greenhouse gas reduction targets? No, we're not. And Kim is absolutely right. We can't measure it. You can't begin to offset it. Then. You can't begin to understand what it is. So how do you measure it? And Kim's the only person I've ever seen to put something uh, platform forward to, to do that, right? And um, we're learning as we go, but it's obviously going to take some more time. And uh, one by one, we're educating one person at a time. And uh, things like this definitely helps to get the message out. And uh, we have lots of materials that we can, we can offer people in regards to uh, how to do that. Uh, questionnaires that we offer people on their waste. We, we wanna know that so we can give people an informed decision on what could be for them based on their waste, so. And listeners, if you're wanting to take a deeper dive into Kim's concept about cryptocurrency and, and how it ties into uh, methane and, and environmentalism, please do head over to our website, emeraldfoundation.ca and watch his Emerald Speaker Series presentation where he takes a mind-blowing deep dive into the concept. It, it really is a game, game changer. Um, Kim, I do have a question for you as we're on the theme of um, individual uh, actions um, and commitments. Um, earlier, you said that uh, eco growth and the journey that you that you're on, you're on that journey because it's the right thing to do. What I'm wondering is, was there a moment in your life where you realized that it was the right thing to do, and what 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 did that look like? Um, that's a good question. Uh, was there a you know eureka moment? Probably I, uh, my, uh, my wife, Shannon, we've been married over 30 years and she was probably the driving force. Um, she grew up in a recycling household and, uh, and I just, you know, it kind of, kind of grew on me and, uh, and, you know, it's really easy to do. Um, if you just put, you know, put a little bit of effort. Like Glenn said, it's so easy just to throw stuff in the trash and uh, forget about it. But, you know, just a little bit of effort, you can actually probably divert 80 to 90% of your waste from, you know, from a household or your business or anywhere, really. I think that's one thing that Gregory and I chatted about earlier. It's just all, it's, it's, it's like people get hung up on the the convenience aspect of things. Like it's like more convenient to just toss things into the trash. And it's about learning a little bit, like it might be like a little less convenient, but just starting to build those habits um, to divert some of the stuff, to, to kind of not take that easy road that like Glenn was also talking about a little bit earlier. But you know, yeah, honey, uh, I, I'll tell you a eureka moment for me. Larry, uh, Glenn and I were at a conference in Toronto and uh, they were talking about the blue bin recycling. And the fact that in Toronto, less than 10% of what gets put in the blue bin actually gets recycled. 
which means over 90%. So we're trying to do the right thing. And we talked about that snake and ladder thing. I mean, that's definitely you know sliding down the snake. Uh, we're trying to do the right thing, putting lots of time and energy and only to find out that it's not, it's, it's really not where we need to be. So instead of trying to recycle things that aren't being recycled, maybe we should change the, the packaging, change the materials so they can be recycled. And so, you know, that's another ladder opportunity, right? Change the plastics or, or, or what have you. And this was actually, this was a metaphor we came up with when we had our like pre-interview with you guys. Can you actually touch on that snakes and ladders, that whole like concept? Sure. And I'll give you a couple of examples. And the, the favorite one I have is uh, composting because composting is really a, a, a good way to deal with organic waste. The problem is if you're going to run a compost facility, it's very uh, strict guidelines on aeration and uh, preventing methane generation. But most people think, well, I'll just throw it on a, in a pile and let it, let it sit and that's composted. Well, that actually is the definition of a landfill and it's a methane bomb. And there was an interesting, uh, there's satellites now uh, going around the earth looking for methane uh, 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 emissions. And they went over a, a landfill in Pakistan and they calculated there was over 10,000 tons of CO2 equivalent burping out of this one landfill per hour. So you know how many landfills are around the world. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's demoralizing. that <laughs> We're trying to, you know, deal with micro uh, issues when, you know, things like that are happening. And it takes literally uh, a molecule of methane takes less than a week to circumvent the entire earth or circumnavigate the entire earth. So you think it's over there, don't worry about it, but no, that's not the way it works. Uh, so I guess uh, what I'm getting at is if you're going to uh, change the, 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 the capacity of your waste, make sure it's being done properly. So if you're going to send it to a compost facility, make sure it's being done properly. Because if it's not, you're just contributing to the problem. This whole concept of a snake and ladder. So I'm, I'm the consumer. I pay someone to deal with my compost. So I think I'm doing great. I go up the ladder only to find out later that it's not being done correctly. And it's actually creating more harm than that's you're sliding down the snake. And same with the blue bin recycling, you know. We think, we think we're doing really good and putting all this stuff in the blue bin only to find out that 90% of it gets sent to landfill anyways. And there's another truck on the road and there's, an, you know, and it's just, you know, and it's all, I guess, opportunities to, to learn, learn and do better. So I think this rolls nicely into forming habits. Let's talk yeah, about I, that. I, I was actually going to say, uh, this is the perfect segue um, Colleen, you just touched on a previous conversation that we had about convenience, and um, we actually had feedback from a listener who um, made a good point that wouldn't it be amazing that we finally get to a place where convenience and being environmentally friendly can coexist. And I think that that's actually kind of what eco-growth is, is working on. Um, and in the meantime, it really is about looking at our own personal habits and, and figuring out how how do we still make our lives easy while also not having a, ne a negative impact? 
So great segue. So yes, let's dive in. Um, so it's really easy to throw something in a recycling bin, but how can we as people know that we're making a difference? Yeah, give us a couple of tips of what we can do to start building these better habits where we know that we're actually doing the right thing, that I could start climbing those ladders as opposed to sliding down those snakes. So I could, I could think of the big thing is, is ask questions. And, you know, what, what really is happening? What is, you know, once I pass this off, what actually is happening? The other thing is, is if we were all, um, if we were all on the same page of not putting things in landfill, and just don't put things in landfill. And if you make that your habit, then, you know, we're going to go way beyond where we need to be in terms of methane reduction. And because most of the methane reductions, landfill methane, that's really the target. Uh, even California did a statewide ban that last week, no more organics in landfill because of the methane generation. It's, so it's catching on for sure. Um, so if you want to form a, a good sustainable habit, make that your first one. Don't put things in landfill, period. Okay, I'm going to dive that down because for me, it's like, that seems like a really big first habit. <laughs> <laughs> so unpack that a little bit. Like say I'm somebody who's throwing everything into the landfill right now and I, do, I don't even know where to start. Like what's maybe like the one small habit that I could start building, building on, Kim, so that I can get to that point where I'm just not putting anything. Into okay, so why don't you start... Start thinking when you buy things, start thinking about what's going to happen after, you, uh, after you've used it. So instead of going to these big box uh, stores and buying, you know, eight months worth of food that you know you're going to throw half of it out, why don't you just, you know, maybe support the local uh, organic brewer and just buy enough, you know, that you're not going to waste any of it. That's a great place to start. Love it. Love it. What about you, Glenn? Is there anything that any tips about how a regular everyday people can start building those habits to get to a point where we're basically on the same wavelength as you and Kim? Or maybe even a habit that you're working on yeah. that you're challenged with right now. Um, I know when Kim's always supportive of of uh, how we look at waste and, and what we're doing with it. Give me an example. In the office, I just started a worm farm. <laughs> why did you say why would I start a worm farm in the office? Um, well, I didn't understand worms. I got a handful of worms from a buddy. I put it in some dirt and I began to put some stuff on there. And uh, I read that uh, worms like lint and hairballs from your vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and I said, why do worms like that? Because it's grit, it helps them digest. Why do they digest this stuff? And uh, well, it's, uh, first of all, it's the best growing media you can, you can get. Um, it provides nutrient dense food. It provides the perfect pH back into soils. And, it can, and the worms consume waste. 
And uh, so we thought, well, we produce this dry material uh, at Executive Matt when we dehydrate food waste. Um, I just began, I didn't know if my worms would like the food I cooked. <laughs> so I, I, I began just sprinkling and you know what? They love it. So I'm going, well, oh, this is working good. And it's providing me with really fertile soil. And uh, now we're playing in our aquaponics, uh, in our modular farm, instead of buying nutrient, um, we're putting these worm castings, we're gonna put them in a tea bag and we're gonna dip it in the water that feeds, but it's gonna provide natural nutrient to our farm, uh, created about even worms doing their part and, and transforming that waste into a nutrient product. So it's not all about energy, waste to energy. It's, it's about healthy soil. It's about, it's about good food to eat. Um, it's about local food to eat. It's about cutting down the emissions from that. And we try that daily. Um, and Kim encourages that. That's what's, that's what's so nice about it because um, we're working with YYC growers here in Calgary now. And uh, why? Because, well, you know, we just started using our waste to grow basil uh, about a year ago. And we got a farm full of basil and we're providing local grown basil to the market weekly and uh, we're all of a sudden this grew into a business on us and uh, it's the freshest that we cut it on on usually wednesdays and we deliver it on wednesday afternoons and uh, this stuff will stay on your counter for two solid weeks without going bad and it's not hauled from hawaii like it normally is in alberta that's where most people get their basil from so Kim is in, uh, in in Hawaii right now, <laughs> but we had we had supply chain issues here recently, and uh, unfortunately the basil didn't get through from Vancouver, and they wiped us out of basil because there was none to be had from the West Coast because supply chains were cut off, and uh, it's just we have a fragile environment when it comes to food, and I guess an easy an easy way is, you know what, plant a seed, feed a worm, grow something on your windowsill. Uh, my worm farm will consume two, two to four kilograms of food waste a day or a week. And, um, you know, that's what, and then you're not putting it in the landfill. Just think outside the box and don't be afraid to make a mistake. Because sometimes I don't feed my worms right. And I go back and look, oh, they're so forgiving. They're still there and they're liking it, right? So, and just don't be afraid to make a mistake. Get in and, and do it is, is, what, is what I see every day at, uh, at EcoGrowth and Executive Matt where, where our office is. We get in and we do it and we make mistakes. And we come out even knowing more than what we thought and which is i think it's it's a good thing now we're it's we have to convey that message to the people because it is the right thing to do and uh, we're excited about it because uh we're we're growing organically we'd like to go exponentially but i'm scared of that too because supply chain so we have to learn how to get it local um and uh, learn how to supply local and learn how to live local.
and not be so dependent on uh, supply chains and stuff like that. And that's where you get into the permaculture, do it yourself. Um, you have the ability, you have the ability to do it. And uh, yeah, just do it, get involved. And that getting that word out and getting involved is the whole reason that Eco Growth Environmental took this journey with us and became our sponsor for this season of, of What on Earth Can We Do? So on behalf of myself and Colleen and everyone at the Alberta Emerald Foundation, thank you so much to Eco Growth for your support. Uh, this season wouldn't have been possible without you. So thank you for, for believing in us and, and supporting us and getting our, our word out to, to our listeners. Well, thank well, we you very much. <laughs> we're really excited to do it because this is the perfect platform we need more of this than anything uh we need good news stories uh, i think everybody realizes that All right, Gregory, so that marks the end of this season of What on Earth Can We Do? And what better way to cap off the season than with the theme, Individuals Taking Action? Season three, wow. Mm, I know, it's, it's been wild. three seasons. And Ooh. just to think how fast this season has gone as well. But, you know, I, I love this theme. And even though we base this episode off of it, I really think that this theme has run throughout the podcast mm-hmm. Uh, from day one, be it the guests that we've had who, you know, are amazing Albertans who are each in their own way facing and figuring out solutions uh, to the major environmental issues that we're facing. And then also us as individuals taking action in our own lives. It's really been the message of the, the podcast all along. So how fitting for us to sort of resolve the season um, <laughs> with our individual actions. Um, and, you know, I've, I definitely have learned a lot from Pat and from Kim and Glenn, but let's, let's blow the roof off of this one. I think that we could, you know, touch on all of the episodes and, you know, just share what we're planning to do as a result of what we've learned. So I think... For me, this season, it's kind of re-inspired me to get back on track. Because I would say after having... Did you just have your phone on? (laughs) I'm going to leave that in there. (laughs) As a warning. Anyway, I would say that I... Fell a little, I, I fell a little bit off track a bit after having Marty. And I think a lot of that had to do with I tend to lean a little bit more to convenience as opposed to um, looking to see what I could do to lower my carbon footprint a little bit. So I have to admit, I hadn't been as great this year, but um, my goal moving forward is to get back on track and keep moving that forward. Just just keep learning, you know? Can I, I'm going to become interviewer for a second because that's <laughs> that's really interesting for me to hear. Um, when you say you've fallen off track, how, how? How do you feel like you've done that? I think when, when you're starting to learn to form a habit, mm-hmm. it is easy to step back a few steps when you're, one, really tired or sleep-deprived mm-hmm. or... Um, to trying to get something done really quickly because now you have two screaming kids yelling at you. So uh, I haven't put as much thought into what happens to, say, my trash when I put it in the garbage. Um, So that's something that I'm very aware of and that is something that I want to change moving forward. 
Do you think that that's real, or do you think that that's like mom guilt? That um, because I I feel <laughs> I I feel like you're not necessarily like putting everything in your garbage. I feel like that that you've probably learned some stuff along the way, and that you're you're probably doing better than most. I would say that. I'm not exactly the same as I was starting in season one. Mm-hmm. I've definitely put some of the habits into practice and it's it's now just a habit for me. But I would say that my learning curve has flattened a bit. Yeah. There you go. And you know what? I'm going to say let's, let's forgive you a little bit. I, I feel like you're allowed to have your ebbs and flows. I think that the fact that you're even thinking about it and that you're aware is probably more than what a lot of people are doing out there. So... release yourself from that expectation (laughs) thank you okay okay i will i will i will (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so um knowing that what are some of the habits that you're hoping to put back into place um one of the biggest things that i'm going to be working on is after a conversation with glenn and kim about just knowing where your trash goes when you throw it away Mm -hmm. so knowing what can be recyclable knowing where to put those recyclables mm-hmm. so that it's going to the right place and doing just a little bit more education around that. So um, that is my 2022 goal uh, moving forward. What about you? Oh, yeah, good. I, You know what? I'm, I'm going to just uh, reiterate what you just said there. I, I think that it's important um, is to, you know, gain that knowledge and, and to be open to learning mm-hmm. um, and to creating those habits. That really speaks to sort of a journey that I've been on. If you've listened to our earlier episodes of this season, uh, specifically the one with Jay Jansen, where we were talking about plastics, um, I brought up that I was making my best effort to turn my bathroom into a plastic, plastic-free environment. And she also said, you know, um, just the fact that you're thinking about it and, and taking some actions, you're, you're doing better than most. Um, but what I ended up learning uh, was that I need to ease up a little bit on myself as well because um, not all plastics are non-recyclable. In fact, I learned through uh, some some reading that I was doing that number ones and number twos are recyclable. So that relieves me a little bit because I'm actually looking at my packaging closer and seeing what I can actually do with it. But I think that that also leads into what you just said about um, being aware of uh, of where you're putting your trash and the processes and you know fingers crossed that it's it's actually being done what you're what you're hoping for it to to do when you put it into a blue bin or a compost or, or something like that do you want to hear my 2022 new year's resolution no just <laughs> kidding what is it <laughs> So this year, so I've been I've been reading a lot more on fast fashion mm. um, and how uh, it affects the environment. Yeah. So my goal of 2022 is I am not going to purchase any clothes this year. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. So there's a couple of exceptions okay. that I have. I know uh, Gregory is a world-renowned knitter now <laughs> and maker of clothes it's true i uh, uh part of my growth as a person during the pandemic <laughs> um so i was knitting way before that but uh my husband and i now have matching sewing machines in our basements basements like we have to um in our basement and actually make all of our own clothing now which is yeah crazy so i'm gonna get you to make me a couple things oh i see <laughs> <laughs> Well, it definitely won't be fast fashion. <laughs> exactly. So that's one thing. But um, I'm going to really be conscious of, of uh, using and reusing 
the clothing that I have. I like it. I like it. And yeah, um, I have that resolution every time I do laundry. (laughs) I know, right? And then you're like, okay, I have 10 gray shirts. Why do I need 10 gray shirts? Yeah. What on earth can you do? Do your laundry before you go shopping. (laughs) That is a, that's actually a really great tip. Yeah. Do your laundry before you go shopping and just realize how much you have. Yes. Okay. I like that. Well, that's my sign off. No, just kidding. What is what's my resolution since we're uh, heading into 2022? Um, this you know, will be launched in 2022, but yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Suspend your disbelief, audience. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend that we're still in 2021. No, don't. Um, I, I think what I'm just going to continue doing is, one, continue to learn. So read, um, listen to podcasts like this one. Um, have conversations, and learn how I can do better. And then to um, be a little bit easier on myself, I think that uh, the number one lesson that I've learned from recording this podcast and talking to everyone is that everything is a decision. And really, it's in that moment um, of that action that you can make the decision to do something better or worse. Yeah. And set yourself up. For success because mm-hmm. you know when you're really hungry and you go grocery shopping and then you don't make the best decisions <laughs> um i like that you said that you go grocery shopping i go and skip the dishes and i become that guy <laughs> you know same thing same thing <laughs> but i get what you're getting at that you just start grabbing the cookies and the chips exactly so yeah. if you set yourself up so that you are putting things in the right because for me for instance in season one I just had like one blue bin that I was throwing everything in and I didn't realize that recycling actually didn't get separated. So I set myself up by actually putting a spot for cardboard, for cans, for, you know, that sort of thing. You know what? That's doing better than most because I have to tell you, I still put everything in the same blue bag and hope for the best. Hey, there you go. Well, that could maybe be like another 2022 thing. There you go. Get some more bins. Uh, One of the things that I learned from, from our judges is that Um, we're in this moment and we think that everything needs to be innovative or different or, you know, the solutions are still yet to be found. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that most things are just going back on basics and, you know, doing your research and just, you know, building those habits. Yeah. Just turn off your light when you're not in the room. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. We've been talking about it. we, We haven't been talking about it, but, you know, it's been something that has been part of the conversation since day one and you know know where your trash is going Mm -hmm. be careful with your food waste stop the fast fashion yeah we should get listeners to send in what they're doing for 2022 what are you doing if you're listening to this tell me what you're doing this year to lower your carbon footprint even if it's just a little bit yeah and you can do that on our instagram at alberta emerald just you know tag us in it or send us a dm we'd love to hear from you i know well i think that caps off season three season three goodbye (laughs) 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 the what on earth can we do podcast is presented by the alberta emerald foundation and eco growth environmental and features emerald award recipients Nominations for the 31st Annual Emerald Awards open on November 1st, 2021 and close February 11th, 2022. Learn more about our guests' inspiring work through the Emerald Documentary Series, available on our website, emeraldfoundation.ca.
And if you enjoyed What on Earth Can We Do, please make sure to subscribe and stay up to date with us on our socials at Alberta Emerald. Need help with your waste management? EcoGrowth Environmental Incorporated has your solutions. Learn more at eco-growth.ca. A very special thank you to our sponsors, the Government of Alberta, City of Edmonton, Syncrew Canada Limited, the Edmonton Community Foundation, the Alberta Real Estate Foundation, Yellow Bike Solutions, and Bioenergy Solutions Incorporated. 